the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 262 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Our sins and failures as parents are often reflected in our children and their children. It isn't that they're being punished for your sins. It's just that sin has a tendency to be picked up by children and stay in a family because of what they saw a father or mother do. So while they are still responsible, everyone is responsible for their own sin, we as parents have a profound influence on our children that affects the way they behave and the way their children behave, and children and children and so forth, even the fourth generation. Today on Verse by Verse, as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues this series of lessons from the life of King David, we will see this fact illustrated clearly. Thanks for tuning in today. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And now his practical messages make the transition to radio format through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. Socrates once wrote, Could I climb to the highest places in Athens, I would lift up my voice and proclaim, Fellow citizens, why do you turn and scrape every stone to gather wealth and take so little care of the children to whom you must someday relinquish it all? What we do as parents has a profound effect on future generations. Let's go to the Word now and see how David's failures as a father impacted, in particular, the lives of three of his sons. Here is Pastor Steve. When history takes a look back at our generation, I wonder what they'll say characterized us. Number of things. But one thing that will certainly, uh, they will certainly have to say characterized our society was excuses. This is a generation that knows how to make excuses and does a pretty good job. This is a generation that uh, doesn't take responsibility for its own actions. It's always somebody else's fault. It's a generation of blame-shifting excuses. You hear it from the alcoholic who says, it's not my fault, my father was an alcoholic, and so I'm just kind of following in his footsteps. Or the divorce that took place because it was really the other person's fault, it couldn't possibly be my fault, maybe a little bit of my fault, but mostly the other person's fault. Or the child molester who says, I can't help it, I was abused as a child. I really can't help it. That was the way I was raised. I'm just doing what uh, I saw myself or experienced myself. Or the parent who blames the teacher or the school for their child's problems. It could, couldn't possibly be their child's fault. He's not an angel, but he's like right under an angel, whatever that is. Uh, this is our world. And several, several years ago, the Toronto Sun newspaper ran an article about some of the most creative excuses they had ever heard um, by people who had traffic accidents, and they try to explain that it wasn't their fault. This is true. What I'm about to read to you is true. I've selected a few to let you know. Uh, 
It wasn't my fault because, and I quote, a pedestrian hit me and went under my car. (laughs) The guy was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. The telephone pole was approaching fast. I attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. Now, this one is my personal favorite, and uh, it goes like this. I was on my way to the doctors with rear-end trouble. My universal joint gave way, and I had an accident. Now, people actually have tried to, to excuse their behavior and uh, their accidents because it, because it wasn't their fault. Excuses. Now, we may laugh at these excuses, and, uh, and they are funny, but uh, many Christians, I'm convinced, uh, have, have come up with a way to kind of excuse their behavior. Uh, come up with a way to excuse their behavior by this, and I'm going to explain it in a moment, but follow me now. When they have the, the notion that God punishes our children due to our sin, there is a thinking that says that it will go to the third and fourth generation, that God, when we sin, God curses us to the third and fourth generation, which, if we believe that, would really make our children not responsible for their own actions. It's not their fault, it's my fault, and therefore my children and their children and their children's children are getting punished for it. Now, what am I talking about? I'd like you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. We will continue our study on David today. This is just preliminary and introductory. Exodus chapter 20 says this, verses 3 through 5. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. That's the context. You shall have, in verse 3, it says, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make an idol for yourself, or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now this is often interpreted, this verse is often interpreted to mean that if you commit idolatry or any sin for that matter, God will not only judge you, but he will also judge your children to the fourth generation. That is your children's grandchildren. And that's the, the, the common interpretation of this. Uh, is, is this what this verse means? These verses really mean? Uh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Nothing could be uh, further from the truth. And let me give you several reasons why. And this will free you to take responsibility and understand this whole thing. In Deuteronomy 24... If you want to turn there, you can. Deuteronomy 24, verse 16. God says this, Fathers shall not be put to death for their sons, nor shall sons be put to death for their fathers. Everyone shall be put to death for his own sin. Is that a contradiction? No, because I'm going to explain that it can't possibly be a contradiction. God here makes it very, very clear that if you sin, the soul that sins, it shall die. It has nothing to do in terms of being punished for someone else's sin. Everyone, this verse is saying, is responsible for their own sin. Now, I think the key verse that explains this is is Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 18. And I'm going to read this to you, Ezekiel 18. Now, the context is uh, they were in Babylon. The Jewish people were in captivity. 
And uh, their fathers had sinned and they were in captivity. Now the fathers were taken into captivity and now a whole new generation has been born and they're complaining. In Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel 18 rather, verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to me saying, what do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel saying, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, declares the Lord God, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. So they had come up with a little proverb. Yeah, and the proverb was this, the fathers eat the sour grapes, but uh, we're the ones who suffer for it. What they were saying is the fathers sinned in Israel and now we're stuck in Babylon because we're punished for our father's sins. That's what they were saying. The fathers may have eaten the grapes, but we're the ones who are suffering because of the sourness of those grapes. And, and God says, I don't want to hear that proverb anymore. You'll never say that again. Why? He explains in verse 4. Because all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins will die. In other words, you are not being punished simply because your father sinned. I am punishing you for your own sins. The soul that sins, it shall die. There is no such thing of that, that you experience punishment to the third and fourth generation. So what does it mean then? What does God mean when he says he'll visit iniquity on the third and fourth generation? Well, the answer is this. While God doesn't, uh, um, doesn't curse an evil man's children for three or four generations, sin, though, can so affect a family, it gets so rooted into a family that it can take three or four generations to root it out. That's what he means. In other words, our sins and failures as parents are often reflected in our children and their children. It isn't that they're being punished for your sins. It's just that sin has a tendency to be picked up by children and stay in a family because of what they saw a father or mother do. So while they are still responsible, everyone is responsible for their own sin, we as parents have a profound influence on our children that affects the way they behave and the way their children behave and children and children and so forth, even the fourth generation. They are totally, we don't make them do anything, but they are totally and totally responsible for their own sins, but our sins affect them and so deeply that it may take several generations to kind of be rooted out. That's what that verse is talking about. Now, what, do, what does this have to do with King David? Because one of the best illustrations of this truth is seen in the life of King David and how his sin affected his children. Remember, we have studied for the last few weeks that David committed a horrible sin, the sin of adultery, with a woman by the name of Bathsheba. And then he murdered her husband, Uriah. God revealed the consequences of this sin. And I'd like you to turn your Bibles now to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12, and I remind you of what the consequences were. Remember that Nathan the prophet was sent by God. He confronted David with his sin. He said, you're the man. You've done this. You're like a rich man with plenty of, of lambs, and here was a poor man, Uriah, and you took his little female lamb. And David said, that man ought to be killed and return fourfold. And, and Nathan said, you're the man. You're the man. But then he said that there are consequences. And I remind you, chapter 12, verse 9. What, why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. 
because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'll raise up evil against you from your own household. I'll even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion. And he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I'll do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Now, from this point on, tragedy was in David's home from this point on. And while each of his sons was fully, and I, and I want you to understand that they were fully responsible for their own actions. Nobody made them do what they did. However, David's sins and his failures greatly affected his children's behavior, though they were fully responsible. So this morning, what I'd like us to do is to look at the lives of three of David's children, three of his sons, and see where David's failures are reflected in his son's behavior. Why? Not for simply an academic study. But hopefully what we're going to do is learn from this and see how important it is for us to live godly Christian lives before our children. And for those of you who feel like, well, my children are, are grown, they're, they're out of the home, this would be a, I'll just feel terribly guilty about this. No, we want to give hope because it's never too late to get things straightened out. And we want to learn from this, not only as parents, but as grandparents. And you may think, well, I'm not a parent, I'm not a grandparent. Yeah, but you're a young person and um, someday you will be most likely a parent or a grand, and a grandparent, and you need to learn how to live in such a way that we have a positive, godly influence on our children. We need to learn that there are consequences for our actions. You don't simply sin in a vacuum. When you sin, it affects other people. And here's a sobering thought, and mark this well. The way you live today affects the behavior of your descendants to the fourth generation. We sometimes get so wrapped up in our own lives that we don't really think about this. God says the way you live today affects, what is your fourth, the fourth generation? Your great-grandchildren. Isn't that sobering? It affects your great-grandchildren. So, David's failures are seen in the evil behavior of three sons, and beginning with a son by the name of Amnon. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're moving over to the next chapter. And David's failure is seen in Amnon's rape. He had a son who raped someone. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Now it was after this that Absalom, the son of David, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon the son of David loved her. And Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill for she was a virgin and it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. Now Amnon was David's oldest son and he had a half-sister by the name of Tamar. By half-sister, I mean David was the father of both, but um, he, they had different mothers. And uh, the full brother of uh, Tamar was Absalom, who we'll meet in just a moment. And she was a beautiful young woman. Uh, many of David's children, we're told, were, were either very handsome or very beautiful. We're told that David was a handsome young man. So it's not surprising that David's children would just be very good looking. And so apparently that's, that was the case. And Amnon lusted after, after her. He desired her to the point of being frustrated. He was exasperated. In fact, verse 2 says that he was sick over this frustration. Today we would call it being lovesick. In reality, it was lust sick. Uh, that is exactly what it, what it was. He wanted her, but he couldn't have her. 
He couldn't have her, so we read in verses 3 through 5. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimei, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed? Morning after morning, will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I'm in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, lie down in your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat and let her prepare the food in my sight that I may see it and eat from her hand. Now, Amnon's crafty little friends had a plan to get Amnon alone with Tamar. Apparently, um, and I don't know exactly why, but apparently because she was a virgin, uh, she was either chaperoned wherever she went, or there was some, some way that prevented her, she was not allowed to be in the presence of another man alone. For some reason, he could not be alone with her. But Jonadab's plan was for Amnon to, to fake an illness, a sickness, so that when his father, King David, came to visit him, Amnon would, would request that the king send Tamar to cook a meal for him. And this is exactly what happened. In verses 6 through 14, we read this story. So Amnon lay down, pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, please let my sister Tamar come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, go now to your brother Amnon's house, prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. And she took dough, uh, kneaded it, and uh, made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan dished them and before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, bring the food into the bedroom that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes, which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them uh, to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, come lie with me, my sister. But she answered, no, my brother, do not violate me for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, uh, where can I get rid of my reproach? And as for you, you'll be like one of the fools in Israel. Now, therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than her, he violated her and lay with her. A very horrible story. When his uh, attempts to seduce her verbally failed, basically, in our language, he raped her. He raped her. He forced her to have relations with him. And when he was through with her, notice what a horrible thing he did. Verse 15, when Amnon, then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, get up, get up go away. But she said to him, no, because this uh, wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young men who attended him and said, now throw the woman out of my presence and lock the door behind her. What a horrible, horrible thing. Not only did he violate her, what he should have done is married her at this point under the law of Moses. But he sent her away and uh, you can see there was no love there. It was just pure lust. And uh, she probably uh, could not be married after this, and it was a disgraceful thing, and it was a shameful thing that he did, horrible. So Amnon wasn't really in love with her, just a rotten guy who lusted after her, and then he hated her and threw her out. So David's firstborn was a rapist. No gentle way to, to put it. He was a rapist. But how did David deal with this sin, this horrible sin of a son forcing himself upon a daughter. We read in verse 21, Now, when King David heard of all these matters, 
he was very angry. David was outraged. He was outraged as well he should have been. But there is no record, no record that he took any steps to punish Amnon. Why? Why is that? No record that he ever did anything about it. He was just upset. Big deal. I want to suggest to you that David would have a hard time addressing the sin of lust and fornication because he had been guilty of this very same sin. Not of raping anyone, but certainly a sexual problem. I want to suggest to you how difficult it would have been for David to to say anything to Amnon when David had a known problem in this area himself. It's pretty tough for David to get down on Amnon about this when everybody knew about his lust with Bathsheba and all of his wives and concubines. I don't think the guy would have had a whole lot of credibility. Oh yeah, Dad, I suppose you're upset with me, but how about all the wives you have? Kind of an example did David set. Horrible example. Was Amnon responsible for his own sin? Yeah, David didn't make him a rapist. But David set a poor example in the sexual realm for his son. And what we learn from this, uh, and it's so helpful for fathers and parents in general to understand that sons and daughters look to their parents to set an example for them. Oftentimes, what you are, they will become. And yet they're responsible for their own actions. This is true not only in the family, it's true in all leadership. Certainly true in the church. That's why elders are to be above reproach. But it is especially true in the home because we are so close, certainly in physical proximity to one another. Your strengths and your weaknesses will generally show up in your children's behavior. And let me illustrate this. Remember the story of Abraham, that great man of faith, had a problem with lying. Kind of sounds like it doesn't fit, but but it's true. Abraham, a number of times, in fact, two times, Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Why did he say that? Because he was afraid that when they looked upon her and she was a, a beautiful woman, they would say, get rid of this guy, kill him. We get rid of him, we'll marry her. Or this man would say, I'll I'll take her for my wife. And so twice we know of Abraham saying to Sarah, tell them that you're my sister. And what happened? Isaac did the very same thing with his wife, Rebecca. It's all in Genesis. Why? Like father, like son. Where did he pick that up? Where did he learn? About a little, little scheming here, a little conniving. You know, there was a technicality in which Abraham was, was right. She was his half-sister, but it was deceitful, and it was wrong. Like father, like son. If you want the testimony of, uh, of, of a good testimony, I should say, before your children, then you have to follow Jesus Christ. You have to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I know there are exceptions. Sometimes uh, kids follow the Lord and their parents didn't, and sometimes it's the opposite way and, and so forth. But generally speaking, your testimony has a profound impact upon your children. Now, that doesn't mean that if you live a godly life for Jesus Christ, that that's a guarantee that your children are also. But your testimony affects them deeply. Otherwise, you have, and this is the key word, no credibility. No credibility. And credibility is what David lost. Was he forgiven of his sin? Yes. Did he have fellowship with God? Yes. 
Did he lose his credibility? Yes. Lost his credibility. You could never get that back. His reputation was marred. The consequences of his sin. There is an old saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But I am afraid that most of us, because of the things we have done in our younger years, would like the apple to fall as far from the tree as possible. May God help us to live our lives in such a way that we would be delighted to see our children grow up to be just like us. Pastor Steve Kreloff will continue this study from the life of King David on the next Verse by Verse. Since 1981, Pastor Steve has been serving as teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio versions of his practical messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the financial gifts and the prayers of our listeners. To learn more about us or to access our library of MP3 audio files, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. If these broadcasts have been a blessing to you, why not become a part of our support team? Click the Support Us link near the top right of the page. Again, that's versebyverseradio.org. Our class today was the start of a three-part message. You can hear the entire message without announcements by ordering a CD or cassette. To do so, call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a phone number, and we will return your call during regular office hours. One of the big challenges for us as parents is consistency both in dealing with our children and... Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.